This is I Slept Great Radio with Nancy Rothstein. Hello, everybody, and welcome to I Slept Great Radio, where we take pride in putting our listeners to sleep. Hi, I'm Nancy Rothstein, your host. Our show today will be exploring many aspects of sleep, recognizing that sleep is essential to the well-being of every single human being. We want to bring you information that helps you and the people in your lives get the best quality of sleep possible. I continue to be amazed at how little we know about an activity, if we want to call it that, that accounts or basically should account for about a third of our lives. On our previous show, we focused on sleep apnea, introducing to you its causes, symptoms, and treatment with a device called CPAP. The show is archived on blogtalkradio.com backslash I Slept Great if you want to learn more about that show and more about sleep apnea, so please refer to it if you wish. Today our topic is treatment options for snoring and sleep apnea, and we'll be focusing on what's called an oral appliance and how and why they're used for treating these conditions. Our guests today are experts when it comes to oral appliances. Annalise Thornton is the Vice President of Business Development for Airway Management, Inc. It's a company that manufactures a medical device that does treat snoring and sleep apnea. Annalise has a background in public health and disease prevention, and she'll be telling us more about why this issue is so important to society. She left her previous career to join Airway Management, which was started by her father, Keith Thornton, who's one of the pioneers and leading inventors of oral appliances. In particular, it's called the TAP. And that is um, Annalise's background. Our second guest we were thrilled to have is Dr. David Schwartz. David's a diplomat of the American Board of Dental Sleep Medicine, and he runs the North Shore Center for Snoring and Sleep Apnea in Skokie, Illinois. They both have very strong backgrounds, and we're very excited to have them today to enlighten you more about, about sleep apnea. Before David says a few words telling you, repeating what really, for those of you who weren't listening last week, what sleep apnea is, I just wanted to mention, Annalise had said that sleep apnea has been named the next public health crisis. And in fact, uh, tw- about 20% of the adult population in the U.S. alone has sleep apnea, and believe it or not, 85% of those people are not diagnosed. And of the 15% or 20% that are, they are uh, about 50% are non-compliant with treatment. And I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about that today and the options to help you treat sleep apnea or snoring for that matter. So I thought first, David, do you want to give us a little background about Absolutely. what sleep apnea is, what our listeners should be looking for? Thank you, Nancy for the introduction, and uh, hello to Annalise, too. Um, basically, as a review, uh, sleep apnea can be one of two types. Uh, the more common one, which we term obstructive sleep apnea, I'm sorry about that in the background, uh, is basically a disorder in which breathing is briefly interrupted during sleep. Uh, apnea, the apnea term in sleep apnea refers to a breathing pause, and in our clinical terms, it, it lasts at least 10 seconds uh, on diagnosis. Um, obstructive sleep apnea, it, it basically occurs when the muscles of the back of the throat, uh, which would include the tongue and the soft palate, um, basically fall and don't keep the airway open. And uh, despite 
our best efforts to breathe, unfortunately, uh, the uh, the obstructive event can uh, can lead to not only uh, snoring, but uh, a loud or a, sometimes a loud uh, a chortle or choking or gasping for air. But this occurs mainly when people are sleeping. Like if you lay down during the day, you're just laying down doing exercise or something, or sit up, it's not going to happen then. Correct. Correct. And usually what happens is when we're sleeping, uh, at certain stages of our sleep, we, we lose muscle tone, muscle control. And it is exacerbated in most situations when those patients have, uh, have, have, have gotten to that position in sleep or that stage of sleep. And does everyone who snores have sleep apnea? Not everyone who snores has sleep apnea, and uh, I think that you can, and, and as I found out clinically, and Annalise can certainly chime in about it, um, not everyone who has sleep apnea is a snorer, mm-hmm. um, but it is usually one of the, the largest symptoms that we see as but patients having who a, snores. having a bed partner gasp for air is an indication that you need to go see a physician or a dentist. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's probably one of the largest things that we have reported is not only is the bed partner saying that the person stopped breathing, that their, their, their bedmate stopped breathing, but uh, that they guess, guess for air at some point during the night. And sleep apnea, if it's untreated, can lead to um, other kinds of diseases and illnesses, correct? It, that's absolutely correct. There's, a, there's a, uh, just a, a tremendous amount of comorbidities that we, we term uh, that, that we find with obstructive sleep apnea, like starting from hypertension to stroke through uh, diabetes, uh, increasing diabetes or uh, increased resistance to insulin, um, heart disease, blood vessel disease. So we have a, a gamut of diseases that, and I think that we're just scratching the surface on that are really going to sure. be coming down to a common denominator of, of having sleep apnea. Right. And what also I think surprises people, it can lead to, because you're very tired, it can lead to job impairment, lack of productivity, relationship issues because somebody's not happy being in the noisy bed, motor vehicle crashes, which is from drowsy driving. In fact, your, your website is drowsy1.com. So correct. that obviously is something that's leading people to ultimately to come to you. That's correct. So that's, you know, so everyone out there listening, it's really, you know, you start to hear all these different um, illnesses and different conditions and problems, and it, it really, and, and one of the really good pieces of news, and that's why you're both on today, is that this is a treatable condition, a treatable disease. You know, if, whether you snore or you have sleep apnea, it is treatable, and that's, that's just so important. The problem is most people either don't know that it is treatable or truthfully don't even know they have a problem. So, you know, on that note, before we come back to you, Dave, because you're going to tell us a lot about how these how oral appliances are fitted, who's a candidate for one. But first, I thought maybe, Annalise, being that your company manufactures the, an oral, oral appliances to treat snoring and sleep apnea, I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about how did this come to be? How did your dad become this pioneer developing these appliances? Well, it's funny, Nancy. Uh, he actually was challenged by an ENT friend of his, an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, was doing a lot of the surgeries to remove extra tissue in the throat and was finding that their, the failure rate of that surgery was so high that he need, he was looking for a different solution and asked uh, Keith, Dr. Thornton, to look into, look into these oral appliances. And there were things on the market at that time, but they weren't to Dr. Thornton's standards of, um, of being able to accomplish what he could, knew was possible for accomplishing. Basically, our 
structure of our anatomy in our throat area, by pulling the jaw forward, it naturally... Okay, everybody listening, sort of jut your jaw forward. You'll sort of get a sense. Seriously. It, Go ahead. It naturally pulls the tongue and the tissue and stretches the soft palate out so it stabilizes the airway in an open position. Mm-hmm. And so this prevents the airway from collapsing by when you pull your when you pull your jaw forward. It prevents the airway from collapsing and it actually stretches the airway open. Mm-hmm. And so this is a basic principle and we everybody who's ever taken CPR or has watched a show on TV about how they um, you know, ER or something and they're putting in an intubation tube. The technique is called the Mueller maneuver and they you pull the jaw forward and that'll open the airway. Hmm. So the only way to keep the airway open in such in a forward position is to use teeth. So that's where a dentist became involved. And there's several oral appliances on the market today. The one that we uh, manufacture is, is called the TAP, and uh, it has been in the marketplace for over 12 years now. And is uh, from what what from what we're told is actually the one that is most used. It's used by the military. It's used all over the world. Yeah, nothing like a snoring soldier next to you when you're tired. Yeah, it's a, it's not very good for for the barracks. That's for sure. So um, what we have found is that the dentist really has a role in um, offering another type of treatment for snoring and sleep apnea. Well, through my work, it, it's interesting because I, I've been told over and over again, you know, people go to their dentist more frequently than their doctors. And so going to a dentist can be a really important portal to get to examine these. And you have to say, you know, for those of you out there listening, if you or someone you know is snoring or you think is at risk for sleep apnea, it's important to, to ask the dentist. And if your dentist isn't, and, and David's going to get to that in a minute, why it's so important to see a dentist who's trained in sleep if they're going to deal with this issue. But it is a start. It is a doorway into starting to examine this issue and to look at your health issues in a prudent fashion. Um, that, before we get to David in a second, Annalise, tell me a little bit about sleep, the public health issue that you mentioned, that this is you know, the next public health crisis. Well, Nancy, you mentioned that uh, there is such a high number of people who are at risk for this disease. It's basically one in five people can have, are at risk for having anywhere from simple snoring, which mm-hmm. does not involve the um, changes in oxygen levels overnight, um, all the way to severe sleep apnea. Uh, I'll term that sleep disordered breathing. So one in five people are at risk for sleep disordered breathing. Mm-hmm. That is on the level of an epidemic. And in public health, when there is such a burden of disease and there are so many people with a disease or at risk for a disease, we have to look at all the different types of ways to get people towards care. Right. And we, as practitioners and as uh, anybody involved in this industry by offering more options means that people can have more ways that to find a successful treatment so ultimately people um, sure can get better uh, well I certainly can relate to all this because my husband has sleep apnea and I've actually been told I was on a trip with my daughter last week and looking at colleges, and I was, she was telling me I snored, and I was just like, oh, no, but I just recently had a sleep study as a sort of a research thing, and I don't have sleep apnea, but I felt so badly because it was like, oh, my gosh, now I can't believe I'm snoring, but it, it's a big problem, but my husband has it, and he wears an oral appliance, so I'm 
very, very familiar with uh, the, the situation, but I'm not the expert to talk about how it works. I will is, say that for women in particular, they sometimes don't get diagnosed with sleep apnea and apnea but when your breathing stops, it causes the oxygen levels in your blood to fall mm-hmm. uh, at night, and mm-hmm. that can lead to all those other diseases that are linked to sleep apnea. Right. But in women, if they have are if they have snoring, mm-hmm. snoring can result from uh, a breathing through a narrowed airway. It mm-hmm. doesn't collapse all the way, but it's mm-hmm. like trying to drink a milkshake. Through, through a, straw. a thick milkshake through a straw. Right. And so you have to work really hard at at drawing that milkshake in through the straw. And that extra resistance of the milkshake creates you have it creates that extra that need for extra effort. Mm-hmm. And that can actually lead to tiredness. So we see in women who are not your who people think of your typical people with a sleep disordered breathing problem they um and they don't necessarily get diagnosed with a disease they're still having um symptoms of symptoms. daytime exactly. drowsiness and by the exactly. way that is everybody a big symptom for um for sleep apnea so, so no it, you're it, right but it's you a know, reason for women to get tested as well or to right. inquire david tell us about when a patient comes to your office um why are they coming? How do you know if they're a candidate to be, you know, for an oral appliance? How do you diagnose? What, what's, what's happening? Give us a sort of a rundown so somebody listening in can figure out, wait a minute, or have an idea of what they go through. Well, one of the things that I think Annalise and Keith and, and I and the rest of the, the dental sleep world have figured out is that there are so many patients who are unhappy or unsuccessfully treated with CPAP that they're looking for, they're actively looking and searching on the Internet and talking to their physicians uh, about alternatives. And unfortunately, um, what I have found, and I'm sure it's consistent uh, around the country, is that there's not enough information in the general physician um, database, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the physicians don't have enough information to know that there's a another option. Mm-hmm. So. What I have been fortunately successful at doing is, is kind of bringing an awareness to the, 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 the general MD community in, in the north suburbs of Chicago, um, in the Chicagoland area, to let them know that we do have an option for those patients who are not um, CPAP tolerant. And so a patient comes to me typically on the referral from one of several hospitals in the area, several sleep labs that I work with, and that is a, um, there's a there's a certain level of trust that they understand that I'm going to follow. And I think that, um, so these patients come into my office, we do a complete dental examination and a, cle- uh, a complete um, oral examination with regards to the airway, the tongue, the tonsils, the soft palate, the hard palate, uh, their jaw classification. We can explain a lot of the uh, uh, upper airway resistance that we see in patients who are, you know, my age, who may have gone through orthodontics as a child that have had, uh, for instance, teeth extracted for orthodontics. Uh, there's a, a slew of patients who have never, they were not breastfed, for instance, that have uh, palates that are larger. And we can look at these things and explain these things based on the physiology of the individual patients. But um, what I, I guess what I look at is when a patient's coming to me, they're looking for an alternative to their CPAP failures. Um, a great majority of the patients that we do see are patients of our own practice that we've, you know, for many patients that we overlooked for many, many years and the patient comes in and 
And now as routine, we're starting to do a, a questionnaire uh, every time the patient comes in for their cleaning visits. Hmm. And we're asking them questions. Um, how many times has someone come into the office and it's, uh, that, that has had, uh, that's on a, an antacid pill or has on a hypertension pill or is on a type 2 diabetic? We never um, seem to put two and two together. And unfortunately, the physicians are very happy to write a prescription for Prevacid or a hypertension medication. In fact, my mother is a perfect candidate. I've been telling her for years that I thought that she had an issue. And she says to me, I don't have hypertension. I take a pill for that. Hmm. Well, the irony there is that she does have hypertension, and yes, the pill is controlling it. Um, and she's also borderline diabetic. I said, Mom, you really need to be tested for uh, for sleep apnea. I said, I know you snore. She goes, did your, did your father tell you that? And I said, no. I said, your tongue is very large. You have a certain physiology that's characteristic of that. And sure enough, she went in for a test, and she's got uh, moderate apnea. Uh, but that's very typical of the patients that we see that come into the dental office. And uh, I'm sure that that's consistent. Uh, Annalise, please let me know if you if you found anything different than that. No. When, when people Wait, are... I will say this, that in our clinic in Texas, what we're seeing is people are coming to us because they know that they want to choose an oral appliance over <coughs> CPAP. And the latest research on CPAP uh, that was done by Terry Weaver, it came out in... She's at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. And she is one of the researchers who really identified how common this disease is in the United States. She also found that the failure rate for continuous positive airway pressure, which is CPAP, the failure rate ranges from 46 to 83%. And so that means that people have received a treatment and they with CPAP and they've they're failing at high rates. And mm-hmm. so people are coming to us as a first line of defense. And, in fact, the Academy of Sleep Medicine, which is the professional group of physicians who are involved with the diagnosis of sleep apnea, changed their official treatment recommendations in 2006. And these new recommendations say that for mild and moderate apnea, oral appliances are a first line of treatment. Uh, if the patient chooses, and so it's up to the physician to present the patient with up all of the treatment options. And then oral appliances are, are also recommended as a second line of therapy if a patient has first tried CPAP, if a patient with severe apnea has first tried CPAP and found that it couldn't work. So that really adds a lot of legitimacy to this type of treatment. I, I do also want to say, I mean, I, I do think it's important for listeners to note that CPAP is 100% effective. The problem is the compliance because for many people, and for those of you who don't know, it stands for continuous positive airway pressure, but it's a mask you wear over your whole face, your nose and your mouth, or just up your nostrils, and it can be uncomfortable. And the problem with that is for those of you out there knowing someone who does it, before they totally give up, they do need to, they need to, talk to their home health care company or their rep and really make sure they work with it first. Um, oral appliances, my husband wouldn't wear a CPAP. He wouldn't consider it. So an oral appliance has been, has been great for him, um, although some other issues have entered the fore. But that, that said, it is important to recognize that with any of these treatments, whether it is an oral appliance or CPAP, you've got to give it some time. You've got to work through the kinks. 
You have to be open-minded because your health comes first. And you can't just put either of them in the closet or wherever and say, I can't do this, I don't, I don't like it. And that happens a lot. I don't know what the um, compliance rate is with oral appliances. It's probably a lot better. Than, it is. And also I think dentists, you know, the problem is the dentist regulates the oral appliance. And, David, I think it's important you tell, you'll tell people a little bit more about that, whereas the CPAP, the company that manufactures it, isn't the one overseeing your use of it. And um, so these are all important issues, but I think that it's patient by patient. Every patient's different, and every patient needs to be analyzed for what's, what's the best option for them and what's working. Because what, what about, how about that, David? Once you wear the oral appliance, how do you know once you go home, how do you know if it's working and if your sleep apnea is better? Do you get, do you get tested and how yeah, does that absolutely. Work? I mean, part of the protocol, and, and this is the problem with some of the, the dentists that are out there that, that just dabble in something a little bit, um, there are certain protocols that need to be followed. Um, and so most of the patients that we, we see in the office um, either go through one of two, two avenues. One, we send them back for what we call a titration study, which is very similar to the CPAP titration that they would have gone through if they had tried it, had a trial of CPAP, mm-hmm. where the technician is actually on the on the tap appliance. It's it's rotating the uh, the mechanism a certain amount per hour or per every half hour, depending on the the situation, um, and and measuring the results every time you do that. Mm-hmm. And once we do this with the patients, um, we can exactly precisely tell. And it, and it can be, and Annalise knows this as well, is that it can be a, a half, uh, half of a complete rotation on a tap appliance that is actually changing their airway dimension um, for, you know, for, to an ideal size. Yeah, you showed me that once. That was quite amazing to see how that works. You just yeah, and, it, and it, just a small change with the position of the, the jaw can make a difference in the airway and the, the number of apneas that someone's having. They either get sent back for a, a full night study or we'll do a, an interim, uh, we call ambulatory study, which has just gotten um, approval by the CME. And that um, means it's for the listeners. What is an ambulatory study? It's basically a, uh, a, um, a take-home sleep study. Mm-hmm. Um, As opposed a, to all the wires and the jazz that you get correct, from Correct, correct. Now, you can still have the wires done at home by certain labs. Uh, which but is this called is, a polysomnogram. It's called a polysomnogram, and it gives us a lot of information. The tests that we typically do, um, that I use the word ambulatory, that the patients take home from our office are very, I want to say they're, they're, they're somewhat limited in that they're looking really for obstructive sleep apnea or upper airway resistance. That's one of the, the main goals, focuses of their, uh, those particular devices. Um, and and it, that we can download information the following day and get an information-based um, report that says, this is what the oxygen was, this is the number of arousals that the patient had, and it gives us an idea of whether we've had an improvement from where we started. So it's not just at, uh, looking at the subjective symptoms of the patient and the spouse or the bed partner telling us that there's been an improvement in snoring or that the patient's dreaming more now or they're, they're getting up less times at night to, to use the restroom. Uh, we're not just going based on that. We're actually looking at objective data that they're, uh, that they're following up on. And uh, Nancy, I wanted to go back to one thing about mm-hmm. the 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 CPAP and what typically uh, what Annalise and just touch base about what she was saying is that when patients are given a choice mm-hmm. is the is a real question because for many many years it's only been about CPAP and this right. recommendation from the Academy of Sleep Medicine that came out in 2006 
it hasn't really disseminated into the general physician population yet. So the the, the modus operandi of, of most patients are that they get tested for sleep apnea. When they're diagnosed, they get um, sent back to the sleep lab for a CPAP titration without necessarily the intervention of a sleep specialist. Mm-hmm. And that's, exi- that's what I've found in my practice and with our patients. Annalise, I, I don't know if it's been different for your practice well, at the clinic. Yes, um, there, it is. We, what we have found is that CPAP is often the only choice, choice presented to the patient. And then there are certain negative things about, uh, about oral appliance therapy that get discussed that really uh, the patient isn't, ha- is not given the benefit of knowing the positives and the minuses mm-hmm. of both treatments. Right. And so uh, if you – the only side effect of oral appliances that – which is why they are rec- – why you need to be in the care of a dentist is – And one they, certified in making them, not just any dentist. Right. Is, but the dentist in particular needs to be managing the uh, device and how, you're, how the patient is using it mm-hmm. is because the one risk is that there could be some shift in – uh, movement in the teeth, and so it's important that the dentist is involved in the care of the oral appliance right. to manage that risk. And there are ways to manage it because you, in fact, told me about the little plastic item that can be chewed to readjust the bite. Right, right. Well, and without so ba- going into detail. Basically, the FDA in 2004 almost put these type of devices over the counter to make mm-hmm. them even more accessible to mm-hmm. patients. But because of that risk in particular, they said, no, it needs to be controlled by the dentist. Now, the other issue that we see is that, and patients ask about it all the time, is does insurance cover these oral appliances? Mm. And, in fact, there are Medicare codes related to that device, and uh, it's EO486 is the actual Medicare code for a custom oral appliance. Now, what we... What I would say is that patients need to go and check with their insurance company to see if that benefit is provided. A lot of times the patients come to us saying, well, the doctor said that we, it's not covered by insurance. Well, because of the changes in coding and everything like that and changes in coverage, they need to really go back and check to see whether or not it's covered. You you know, you raise, all of these issues you've been bringing up raise a point that this is a developing field. It's a, it's a disease that's been around forever, as long as we've had our airways. And it's developing quickly because of technology, because of research, because of knowledge, whether it's, you know, Dr. Weaver or other people all over, incredible scientists doing research on sleep. I think it's important people note that it's a process and that you have to really, as, as, and you know this with a degree in public health, you have to be your own advocate. Yeah. You have to just get, you know, look at, explore things. And, we have a couple of minutes left, but I want to make sure, and one of the things that's always important to me is to lead people to places where they can get more information. And uh, both drowsyone.com, which is David's um, website, or Sleepwell Solutions, which is um, Annalise's company's website, are both important places to go, as is, and as we told you last week, to look at isleptgreat.com and uh, another website, 
which is related to a children's book um, that I actually wrote, but that website is mydaddysnores.com. And there's tremendous amounts of information and links on all of these websites, not to flood everybody with information, but you really need to have the information so that you can go into your doctor or your dentist and, and ask the questions you need to ask. And if they're not being answered, there's plenty of leads on um, all of these websites to get to you to doctors that are certified in sleep or dental sleep medicine so that you can get the treatment that you really need. And, and this is something that you just, you just can't overlook it. And now we can, we can clearly say to you there's, there is help to be found and there are alternatives. So having said that, and I, I don't think we have anybody calling in today, but um, any closing remarks from either of you? So thank you so much for being with us today. It's been so thank informative. Thank you for inviting us to be on it, Nancy. I appreciate I would it say, as well. I would say that I would encourage patients to be a, a diligent in learning about all of their treatment options and be very involved in finding one that works for, them, for that for patient. That. But to, the first and most important is to take the step to call, to call your, to talk to your primary care, to talk to your dentist, and if they don't know much about sleep or the issues you raise, you yourself or your doctors can refer you to somebody. You know, you'll find somebody or you'll be referred to somebody who does. But the main thing is we all need a good night's sleep, and uh, mo- many, many people aren't getting it. So that's why we're here at iSleep Radio to help you, and we're, we're excited that you're with us, and we want you to share the show. It's archived, so you're welcome to go to Blog Talk Radio backslash I Slept Great to get this show in the future or send it to friends or to get our show from last week. And we'll find a way for you to let us know what else you want to hear about regarding sleep. And we'd love everybody to say, I slept great when they wake up tomorrow. So thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank you, Dr. Schwartz. Thank you, Annalise. You're welcome. We're thrilled you came today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye.